This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Bolts broadcast. My name is Mike Mitchelson and Chase. We have a huge episode, but before we do that, Chase Crawshaw, how's it going? Uh, you know, it's going pretty good. I'm super excited for the release of this episode. Uh, we've been talking about it throughout the week. Uh, the network's been showing it some love. We hope that you guys love it just as much as we did. Absolutely. Doc Emmerich was awesome. But before we get into that interview, uh, we want to quickly take a look at an update for the upcoming NHL season as Darren Drager, Pierre Lebron, they are coming out reporting that January 13th is the targeted date for the season to kick off. And we're looking at 52 to 56 games somewhere between there. Chase, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, literally last episode, kind of like how I said, I'm not optimistic about the season, but as I said last summer, was optimistic about the playoffs, and it happened anyway. So literally, instead of just having to wait weeks, it just took three, four days this time around. Um, So, you know, I'm just going to keep saying these things, um, and the opposite's going to happen. So um, Tampa Tampa Lightning are definitely not winning the next 17 Stanley Cups. Um, but regardless, I'm, I'm super excited. Um, I'm happy that the season hopefully get rolling soon. Hopefully that stays on track. Hopefully there's not too much thrown off because of COVID. Uh, people are quarantining now. You know, I, I saw yesterday that, uh, a lot of players on loan, uh, over in Europe are, they are, um, starting to pack their bags and are starting to come back over to North America. So, you know, we're going to start seeing guys get back over with their NHL teams and uh, I'm just excited. Yeah, absolutely. And right as World Juniors uh, will wind down, the NHL will wind back up. So that'll be great. We won't have uh, a lack of hockey for, you know, a couple months like we feared. But uh, very excited that the NHL is returning as well as I'm very excited for this interview we have for you guys. We've got another great interview for next Thursday's episode. We will announce that officially on Monday. But um, yeah, Doc Emmerich. What a guy. Uh, I was able to meet him through my schooling here at Michigan State University. Uh, He said, you know, maybe we can get something worked out within the next couple months or so because he is on a book tour for his new book. Uh, He promotes that in the interview. Uh, So if you want to get your hands on that, make sure to do so. But I I emailed him after class, said, hey, I really appreciate you coming to my class, talking a little bit. Um, Maybe in a couple months or something, we can get something going. And he said a half hour later, how about we do it tomorrow? And so we got it done the day after I met him and he was absolutely awesome. He gave us about 25 minutes of time uh, for an amazing interview. And Chase, you and I both smiles just ear to ear. We're both so giddy meeting a childhood, uh, you know, favorite. It's it was truly awesome. Yeah, I mean. There's really no other words other than it was just, it, it was unreal. Um, it, it was quite the opportunity, an opportunity not a lot of people are going to have. I know a lot of people in the network are super jealous. Uh, it, it was just so cool it, just to hear Doc's voice talking directly to us. It, it was wild. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we're running on three and a half minutes right now of us just talking. And we know you guys are not here for that, at least for this episode. So why don't we kick it over to the interview with Doc Emmerich? We really hope you guys enjoy. All right. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome the man, the myth, the absolute legend, Doc Emmerich himself. Doc, uh, eight Emmy Awards, part of the United States Hockey Hall of Fame. You've called everything from the Olympics to the Stanley Cup Finals. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate you coming. Oh, it's a great opportunity for me to chat with uh, your uh, listeners, Mike, and to get a chance to visit with you a little more than uh, the short time that we had when you were uh, in a class at Michigan State. So it's a good opportunity for me, too. Well, Doc, I know that it's been a couple months since you retired, but it's actually not been full retirement for you yet. You're on a book tour right now with your new book, Off Mike. Uh, would you mind giving us a bit uh, more information about that and some great content you got going with it as well? Well, the book itself is uh, autobiographical, but uh, I haven't had a terribly interesting life outside of, of the broadcasting world, so I put a lot of stories from sports and hockey and broadcasting in with it because um, the the notion of having a, an autobiographical book that didn't have that in it would have been pretty dull. And uh, I want people to buy the book and feel good about it because uh, 100% of the proceeds go to hands-on care of animals. So even if you don't like the book, at least you'll feel good about probably uh, spending the money on it. But hopefully there'll be some entertaining parts of the book too. Because in 47 years of broadcasting hockey, as well as other sports, as you mentioned, um, there, there have been some bizarre things that happen and, and also some that have been historic. And so we tried to uh, collect as many of those together. Not all of them made the cut. And so Kevin Allen, who did all of the hard work, as is usually the case, the guy that gets the smallest print on the cover is the guy that does the heavy lifting. And Kevin Allen, who covered hockey for USA Today for 34 years, was the guy who put it all together and put it in intelligent form so that at least it reads okay. So I, I've got one question um, like that I really wanted to start off with. So a couple of years ago, I was I was working at a baseball diamond, uh, Jimmy John's Field. And then all of a sudden, I saw just in between innings, you were giving an interview out of the diamond, which caught me completely off guard. I was uh, Honestly, prior to that, I had no idea that you lived in Michigan before then. So what Oh, was, yeah. I, I really, I, I love that league, and I like going down there. I tried to get down this summer, but unfortunately I did not. They did get their, uh, they got their regular league play in and the, and the playoffs, but uh, they, they've done a wonderful thing there in merging four teams in together and, and having all of the players and all of the games there, as well as some silent games during the week where uh, they have no crowds at all, but they give all the players legitimate work, and they 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 play a lot of games and that's what baseball players like to do it's wonderful professional baseball and it's affordable and families like it and it was an avenue for me uh two summers ago to make a contribution as well on behalf of uh of uh arming uh with uh, with armor police dogs there was there was a dog named axe who was uh in the baltimore who was uh I'm sorry, in St. Clair Shores, 
who was killed uh, in the line of duty with the police in St. Clair Shores, and he did not have the protective armor. And so one of the causes that my wife and I have been very um, upfront about is uh, outfitting as many of these dogs as we can with protective armor. It's not inexpensive at all to do, but it's very helpful to the officers that are with these dogs. And so that was a presentation that I was making one night there at a baseball game, but they get wonderful attendance. The caliber of baseball is magnificent and it's a good evening out for families. I just thoroughly endorse the baseball that's played at Jimmy John field. Yeah, it, it really is awesome. You know, I only worked there in a small role to sell merchandise, but you know, it, it was a great opportunity to work there. Um, it, you know, got got to meet some of the players and uh, offer upper management. It, it was fantastically run. So, Kind of uh, going off of that, so well, I know you're not originally from Michigan. Um, what made you decide to live in Michigan, uh, you know, as you got older and now into your retirement? Uh, my first game uh, that I ever did in professional hockey was for a team based in Port Huron 47 years ago. And I was in Port Huron for four years. And the second summer I was there, I met a young woman who – uh, we dated for the three years that I continued to be in Port Huron, and then I got a chance to move to a league of higher classification in the American League out in Portland, Maine, and that was uh, the end of it, I thought, because uh, I asked her to marry me, and she decided that moving along into a hockey career that would take her all over the map was not in, not something she wanted to do. So I understood that, and so I left, and the two of us decided we couldn't get along without each other after about three months. So we got engaged and eventually married and have been married 42 years. Uh, but I liked the area a lot and she had family back here. And when you get a job in network television, they don't care where you live. And so 25 years ago, we thought we'd have to retire to live back in this area. Uh, we both liked it so well that 25 years ago, we moved back and, uh, despite all of the other work that I've had, I've been based here ever since. Uh, yeah, that is uh, absolutely amazing. And I know you absolutely love your dogs, your wife, and your horses there too, which is really cool. Um, but I wanted to mention or, or hop back on to the retirement track. Obviously, this year was a bit unusual with a pandemic. Uh, so I was wondering, what was the most uh i guess what was the biggest nuisance when it came to covering and broadcasting games during a pandemic and as well as did the pandemic have any role in your decision in retirement um the latter question first uh it can't help but have had something to do with it because this was such a weird year and because the future was so confusing but um, by and large, you know, there were a lot of round numbers involved in this, including 40 years of doing television, of play-by-play -play of hockey, 50 years since I started covering games, and 60 years since I saw my first game. And the fact that the pandemic had, had um, come along and that NBC had protected me by allowing me to work at home. And by the time we'd gotten into the third round, they had further assured me that I would not need to go to the last bubble out in Edmonton. I could stay home. And thus they assured me of, uh, of continued health. And looking at all of those round numbers and the fact that I had, in fact, remained healthy, my wife had remained healthy too, 
it just seemed like the right time to um, reflect on all of the wonderful things I'd had over 50 years time around hockey and, um, and, and move away to uh, another chapter in life and reflect on all of this and enjoy watching games, but not get on airplanes anymore and not get up at four o'clock in the morning to be going through the metal detector at five thirty or quarter of six and making seven o'clock flights so that I could be at the arena that morning to uh, make it to the morning skate at 1030, which is necessary and 1130 for the second morning skate and then working that same night at 730 as I did for so many years. Uh, All of that does take a toll on you, but it just seemed like this was the right time to do that. Uh, What was the biggest drawback of COVID? Uh, The fact that we couldn't go into dressing rooms anymore. And that was enacted before the last game that I did in an arena on March the 11th. The weekend before the new rules came out from the NHL and they said that we couldn't go in dressing rooms, which meant that we couldn't sit next to players and learn more about them. And that was the real bonus of the 47 years that I spent around hockey is that we're the conduit between the players and the fans. And a lot of what I had to share, I learned in those moments in the dressing room after the players had had their morning practice, getting a chance to chat with them and asking a few questions that might prompt a response that they hadn't given before. And so there'd be something new that fans could learn. Yeah. And doc, that's, uh, that's why you're the best in business, honestly. Um, one quick follow up on NBC, you gave very high praise, you know, they, they kept you safe and happy and, you know, you guys do a great job, uh, when you are covering the games. Uh, but also it sounds like you may do a couple little things here and there for NBC in the, the next coming years. Yeah, they allowed me, uh, they allowed all of us on the staff, not just the hockey staff, but anybody that worked for them during the pause was allowed to uh, submit any kind of videos to them that we wanted to. And they would uh, put them on their Twitter account because I'm not a, I'm not a social media guy. I don't have a Twitter account. And uh, so uh, there was one, my wife and I would go out for walks in March and April when it was cold, and we would notice a lot of people walking with dogs. So I did a 60-second little mini feature, video feature on on dogs. And uh, so they put it on the Twitter account. She had got a lot of people were were looking at it. So they they realized that I like doing things like this. And so they, uh, at the time that I told them that I, wanted to opt out of the one year contracts that I had for, I guess, eight years that I had re-upped every year for eight years and said, this was where I wanted to stop. They said, well, will you stay on and do some video essays once we get hockey going again? And so it's, it's always nice to be on the team roster again and be issued a Jersey again, be a part of the team. Yes. It's just, uh, it'll be in a different role, but I'll get a chance to have my voice on once in a while. That's awesome. So uh, how, how much time do you have, Doc? We don't want to take up too much of your time. Just want to no, go sure. ahead. I'm fine. All I've right. got another 10 minutes at least. All right, perfect. So I, I've got one question um, that my brother specifically really wanted me to ask, so I'm doing this for him specifically. Um, what was it like 
to you know hear yourself and be in a video game and what was that process to you know going through and recording and all all of your phrases and doing you know the whole production process really for a video game well imagine this chase you walk into a studio in chicago and in front of you is a computer terminal not a a, not a tv screen that has action on it but a video terminal and all it has on it is a sentence and what the sentence says is last minute of the game goalie pulled defensive zone can't get out of your own end and so that is the chore and what you are to do is to describe a team trying to get out of its own end with its own net empty and you can't use the names of players because those get stitched in by the people playing the game depending upon who they've chosen to have on the ice at the time you can't use team names because the teams have been chosen by whoever's playing the game but you have to somehow or other give them verbiage that would translate as a possibility depending on who's playing the game and how they're using the various devices in playing it. And then you do one of those, and if it's satisfactory, they ask you to do four more because they want variety. And so that's one of the, one of the examples of a problem that you are asked to do um, in the course of recording the game. And you do that for six hours, uh, various things like that. And then you do uh, various um, amplifications of team of player names and team names because the names are added every year to the video game. Uh, you get new players coming into the league. And that's called the telephone book where you actually go down a list of names and you'll do them at various emphases of uh, because there may be there may be a very casual play like uh uh, we'll just pick out a player, uh, uh, Ovechkin. Okay, so if he's back in his own end playing circle to circle, you know, and they're eventually trying to break out, but it's a very casual play because the other team's changing. You'll say, Ovechkin, and if he's got a chance to drive it in from center ice or shoot one uh, around the boards, it might be a little more amplified. And so you'd say, Ovechkin. And then if he's letting a shot go, a big shot go, you'll say, oh, that's good. And then if it winds up being a goal, you will say, oh, that's good, scores. <laughs> so we put a number system to that, uh, those various amplifications of three, five, seven, and nine. And so the last day, the last session are all the names at nine. And then by then you're so hoarse you walk out and that's the last session. Jeez. <laughs> so there you are. But I mean that, that that was way more names than I expected. That, that was <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, you might have 200 names to do like that. Yeah. Wow. That that's. <laughs> so that's what it was like <laughs> that, that's for that's a number of years. Yeah, and uh, so I, I also have. Um, so I, I have two more that I really want to ask last one right now, then I'll pass it back over to Mike. Um, so I, I, you know, when you were talking about the whole process of, you know, going, waking up early, catching the flight, going to morning skate. Uh, so I, I worked. That was know, the normal day with the devils, by the way, that back when I was doing devils and network games, that was a normal devils day. 
uh, and that was because I chose to live in Michigan while I was doing network games. Jeez. So uh, that was a lot. A lot of that was self-imposed just because of where I chose to live. Uh, I mean, I, I understand that for, for sure. Uh, so I, I, I worked or interned, I should say, a couple of years in the OHL. And so I went around the league experiencing, you know, many different media rooms. Is there any arena, any sporting event where uh, you, like a specific media room stands out? And for anyone listening who doesn't know what a media room is, it's kind of this conference area almost, uh, you know, before the game, like some staff members and members of the media will kind of go, they can eat, converse, uh, you know, get a coffee before the game starts. Yeah, they're all really good now. We had a whole bunch of, uh, of an explosion of rink building in the mid-1990s. Almost all of the media rooms were archaic and afterthoughts before then. And, for example, Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, they didn't think to build a press box for broadcasters or writers when they opened up the place in 1979. And so they had to tear out the top two rows of seats, or maybe it was three rows, to put one in. And so there was no media room thought of either. And so they had to destroy another room down below to put in a very cramped space for the media to have something to eat before the game. And then I think what they did was convert that into a workroom later on. So there were a lot of archaic places in the pre-mid-90s era but almost all the places now have very adequate media rooms because the media has um, has exploded so much. They're not just one or two traditional newspapers. Now there are media that's all over. Yeah. Because they, all the arenas copied each other, and so they made all the space very adequate. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, interesting to hear the whole progression of that yeah that's awesome for sure um chase and i we have the privilege to actually cover the tampa bay lightning and you know they had a, they had a pretty good season this past season i was wondering uh what are your thoughts on the tampa bay lightning you think there may be a chance to uh repeat this year well it's very hard to repeat in this league because the you know they they uh, had a wonderful season and then they died in a four straight sweep by columbus then this year, they finished second to Boston, but they, they skunked Boston pretty soundly in the uh, in the playoffs. And I don't know if they can keep that same gang together and keep that same feeling going because there's much parity in this league. And in the 1980s, you would have dynastic teams like uh, the Islanders are 80s, then uh, Edmonton in the latter part of the 80s that would take over and they would be the top teams to shoot at. It's very hard to find dominant teams anymore, especially when it comes to the playoffs, because as the Kings proved, who barely got into the playoffs, uh, you can win if you win it. And uh, it's very hard to say lightning can win another when we come back to back. You took the 16 teams that met and you, uh, you considered it all dice, and you threw those dice against the wall, you'd have just as good a chance of predicting who's going to win the Stanley Cup as I would if I hung around hockey for another years. It's that big a dice roll. It's just, it's hard to say. They certainly have the structure of a very good team, got a wonderful goaltender, got strong defense, although they lost Zach Goshen, who I thought was really a strong player for them. Uh, and, and up front, they're certainly good if Stamkos can ever 
remain healthy for any length of time. He can be a wonderful leader for them, but they did it fine without him last year. But all I'm doing is talking around the point because the answer is, I don't know. There's a reason why we haven't had back-to-back winners for a long, long time. Yeah, absolutely. Only the Penguins, since the Red Wings in the late 90s, only the Penguins were able to pull it off. For sure. That that definitely makes sense. Um, So here here on the Bulls broadcast, we have a segment. uh, We we finish off our shows with it. It's called Hockey Name of the Day. It's where, you know, I I go and I I find a name uh, within the hockey world they could be playing Low level, high level, it doesn't matter. Just, just kind of a fun name, something that's kind of hard to pronounce, and I try to get Mike to pronounce it. So you, obviously, you know, Doc, you've spent all these years in, in the broadcast world. You actually are a founding member and currently president of the NHL Pronunciation Guide. So uh, if, if you could, would, could you kind of tell, you know, the, the process of writing that, and then maybe if you remember a, a name or two that stuck out as really fun for you to say or something that was really difficult for you to say? Um, yeah, the, what happened was we, uh, in the early part of the 1980s, when I first got into the NHL, we'd go into another arena and we'd take the lineup of, out of the program and we'd go to the other announcer and say, okay, how do you say these guys? And they just go down the roster for any names that were difficult and they would tell us how to say it. And I thought to myself, and I brought it up at one of our broadcasters association meetings, Uh, Why don't we do that in the fall at training camp when 50 players are there, not just the 23 or so that are in the lineup that night. And (laughs) Dick Urban was there, who was the senior vice president of our group. And he said, that's a great idea, Mike. Why don't you do it? So that's what we do every fall. We would uh, structure something like that. Excuse me a second. I've done a lot of shows today. Um, So as a result, um, the announcers at training camp would get all of the difficult names. They would call my answering machine and leave them on the answering machine. And then I would convert them uh, into phonetics. And Sergei Krivokrasov of the Chicago Blackhawks was very hard. I was glad he didn't have a brother playing on the same team and on the same line. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Doc, here. Uh, very last question for you. Again, we really appreciate uh, you giving us some of your time. Um, you covered a multitude of Stanley Cup finals, over 20. Is there one Stanley Cup final that sticks out to you the most, whether that be good or bad, uh, just one that immediately comes to your mind when you're thinking about Lord Stanley? Well, I'm talking to guys in Michigan, I guess, uh, the 08 and the 09s between Pittsburgh and Detroit because there were so many star players on both teams and because it went to the wire game six in Pittsburgh, won by Detroit in 08. That was the best Detroit team that I saw, even though there were Hall of Famers on the 02 team that won, a bunch of Hall of Famers. Zetterberg and Datsuk were at their best, I thought. Nick Lidstrom was marvelous, and he had a right shot uh, to his right named Brian Rafalski, who was tremendous. Um, I, I just, and Osgood was in goal. I just thought that was a wonderful team. They won in game six in Pittsburgh, and then in game seven, of all people, Max Talbot, who was not known as a big goal scorer, scored both goals for Pittsburgh, and Jonathan Erickson got one late for Detroit, which made it a one goal game. Goalie pulled, and Nick Lidstrom 
with a second and a half to go, got one shot away that Marc-Andre Fleury saved. And, you know, if Nick would have known he had a second and a half, he might have moved in and shifted to the backhand and let a shot go. And who knows, but that's one of the fun debates in Pittsburgh won in Detroit. Those were two wonderful Stanley Cup finals with loaded with star players. And as usual, uh, as often happens, it's the star players who don't make a difference in the key games. Oftentimes, it's the guys who may not be high on the marquee. Absolutely. Well, Doc, we really want to thank you for coming out and uh, spending some time with us. Is there any last couple of words you want to say, whether that be to the people or, or plug in your book or anything like that? No, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity you've given me, and uh, I wish you guys all the best in everything you endeavor to do in life. Thanks very much. All right, and we are back. We want to thank Doc Emmerich so much. It was an absolute pleasure. The man, the myth, the legend. He was absolutely exhilarant, excellent, and just exuded all of the, I keep using EX words, but that's that's okay, uh, exuded all of the just amazingness that you could possibly see. I, I really hope you guys enjoy that interview. Uh Chase, you and I, again, were so excited to talk to him. And um, I think you and I both realized that not only was he the best to ever do it in the play-by-play booth, but he was just an amazing overall person. Oh, he's like the all-time best dude in the world. Um, You know, obviously, I've never met him, but I, I, I know people, you know, who have met him, have dealt with him, and he is... From everyone has told me from secondhand stories, just the most down to earth, all time great person that you'll ever meet. Uh, you know, he'll go and you know into a media room before the game, and he'll introduce himself to every single person, smile, shake hands, talk, have a little conversation with them. He's just that kind of person. He really is the epitome of just a great human being. Yeah, absolutely. You see that again with his book sales off mic. It's going to a great cause to help. Uh, you know, animals and pets. So that that's uh, another reason why he's just truly the best. Um, if you guys do want to help out Doc and his cause, make sure to go check out his book. Uh, it talks about you know how he how he started off as a uh, young kid, kind of a, a nerdy kid in a non hockey town, and became the voice of hockey. It was absolutely awesome. But Doc, we wish you nothing but the best. Uh, on the rest of your book tour and wish you nothing but the best going forward into retirement. I know you haven't really been able to experience that uh, as of late with the book tour, but I I think um, you'll really enjoy that. So best of luck to you. Uh, And that will be it for the episode, guys. Um, Monday, we are going to have a new episode. We're going to be talking uh, some more hockey stuff, maybe World Juniors. We haven't really figured that out yet. But Thursday, another great interview. Uh, we'll let you know who's coming on uh, on Monday's show. But that's it for this episode, Chase. Do you want to give our lovely listeners a quick outro and then we can get out of here? Of course. Yeah. So as always, thank you guys for listening. If you'd like to check us out on Patreon, support us that way. You know, we would really appreciate it. If you could follow us on Twitter at Bulls Broadcast, that is at Bulls Broadcast. Follow the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. That is at HockeyPodNet. And also, while you're at it, follow WNP on Twitter at WNP Sports Pod. That's WNP Sports Pod. Get your football uh, 
not the hell the word I'm looking for is get get your get your football need filled there, I guess. Um make sure you go to the hockey podcast network.com. You can find all the podcasts in the network right there. Boom, click the logo, listen, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Whoever listening, rate us five stars, leave a comment, send us your questions, concerns, or whatever the hell you got for us. Absolutely. Once again, thank you to Mike, Doc, Emmerich for coming onto the show. And thank you all for listening. We will talk to you guys next time.